Well, good morning again. If you did not get a sermon outline, you need one this morning. So if you need one, raise your hand. We need one over here, a bunch back there. Anybody else online? You can get them uh, right in the, the message part of Facebook. Ah, this morning we're going to talk about living in grace. I love it again. You know, so often uh, the songs just match. It's almost like there's something going on that's beyond us that kind of ties everything together. I don't know what you call that. Holy Spirit will work. Thank you. Thank you. This morning I want to invite you to dinner. We're going to do it 21st century style, um, virtually. Well, I guess it's more vicariously. And uh, we're going to join Jesus at a dinner that he had 2,000 years ago. This is all part of our series, Walking with Jesus. And it's a fascinating passage of scripture. I hope you enjoy it. It's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It's going to be up on the screen, and I've uh, put the scripture right in your notes there. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me love, me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man? He goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith is has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this reading of your word. And I just pray that now as we, we dig into it a little bit deeper, Father, that it would take root in our hearts and flourish and, and bring fruit into our lives. Father, open up our hearts and our minds to what you would teach us, to what you would show us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot of stuff. Most people know this passage of Scripture. There's a lot of stuff, so we're going to kind of dig into it. We'll go through it one verse at a time. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. 
So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. I love this image. Because Jesus is having dinner with the hypocrites. With, with, with the ones who were going to become his persecutors. The ones who were looking for reason to criticize him and, and, and to arrest him. It was not a friendly invitation. In fact, the, the way this is kind of set up, the Pharisees are being out and out rude and disrespectful to Jesus. They didn't offer him all the common courtesies that you offered to a dinner guest. Everybody else there would have been greeted with a, a kiss like they do in some countries and offered the water to clean their feet, oil for their head. But Jesus had none of that. And Jesus is well aware of this. I, I don't know if you've ever been invited to somebody's house. You ever go to somebody's house and... Um, you know, you're part of a, a larger group. There's other people there. And they just kind of ignore you. I, I remember there was a couple places we knew. And anytime you go there, you go in and they're just busy. And it's almost like you're not there. It just feels uncomfortable. You know, it's like, why am I here? Why did you invite me? And then sit me over on the couch in front of a TV that's on. And you're all over there talking. And it's like, it's uncomfortable. If you know, if you invite someone over to your house, treat them special. Let them feel welcomed when they get there. Now, the reason for the invite here, you know, I think about why did they invite Jesus and why did Jesus go? Well, their reason is, you know, you've heard the saying, keep your, your friends close and your enemies closer. Well, that's this kind of situation. These people don't like Jesus. They're looking for a reason to arrest, arrest Jesus. They're looking for holes, so they've invited him in. But they're treating him rudely. You sit there. We're not going to give you any of the, the common courtesies. Now, Jesus on his part, why is he there? Because Jesus is always open. If you invite Jesus, Jesus will come. And he's sitting at the table because these people are sinners, just like anybody else is a sinner. And if, if you're open to Jesus, Jesus is open to you. And it says, and, and then this weird thing happens. When a certain immoral woman from that city, it, it's interesting, it says a certain. It's, it's like this must be a well-known woman. Everybody knows this woman. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. It's kind of a strange scene. It, it, it's sort of uncomfortable to me. You know, they're at the Pharisee's house. Everybody's sitting around. Does she just walk in? You know... Just walks in the house and then starts doing, doing this. It's, it's kind of weird. She, obviously, she knew about Jesus. The word's out there. Jesus is having dinner over at the Pharisee's house. I wouldn't be surprised if there hasn't been some kind of contact with this lady, maybe on the way to the Pharisee's house or something has happened recently. She's been impacted by Jesus. She hears he's at this house. She goes on over there. It never gives us her name. She doesn't say anything in this whole passage. She's just an immoral woman. A prostitute is what she is. And, and, and what a contrast. These men, these religious leaders, have been rude to Jesus. 
In comes the sinner, as they would see her, and she treats him with honor. But she's emotionally distraught. She's crying over his feet, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet, perfuming his feet. I I don't know. You know, it's kind of like, I don't think I'd want anybody touching my feet for starters. I certainly don't want them wiping my feet with their hair. It's like, no. Just a funny story for you. Got nothing to do with anything. (laughs) A couple years back, a few years back, Sandra and I were on a cruise and we went snorkeling. Not snorkeling. Yeah, snorkeling in, in Mexico. And it was the second time we had been snorkeling. The first time was out in the Cayman Islands, and it was just gorgeous. It was like being on one of those shows. You know, you're, you're over a reef. But I could not get this stupid snorkeling down right. And I don't know if the shape of my face is weird or something, but water kept getting in there. And I got angry. So this second time, we're in Mexico. I thought, I don't care what happens. I'm doing this. So I'm swimming around and, and, and snorkeling, and there's water getting in there. But I'm just determined. So after it's all done, it's a three-part thing. You do the snorkeling, and then there was a dinner or a lunch. And we're lined up for the lunch, and you've got your plate, and, and I dropped something. And there's a guy standing beside me. And when I bent over, apparently my sinuses were filled with water. <laughs> and it just came gushing out my nose all over this guy's shoes. <laughs> Oh, and it was like a flood. It was just, I don't know, and I'm reading this and I'm thinking about that. It's like, no. I didn't wipe it off with my hair. (laughs) Excuse me a minute, sir. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine. Like if this woman, if if I were sitting there and she started doing it to me, it'd be like, get away. But not Jesus. You know, he's, he's open to her. He's listening. He understands the pain behind her tears. She's a prostitute. And, and, and back in those days, I mean, it's not a, a, a noble business these days, but it's definitely more accepted. But in those days, it was, it was just the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. But so often, women were kind of forced into prostitution. They had no rights. They couldn't earn money for themselves. So if your husband died or you didn't have any way of supporting yourself, very often this was the only option that was open to you. So you went down this road of immorality. We don't know her story. But she was bringing to Jesus all of her pain, all of her brokenness, and all of her shame. Something had told her that she needed to come to Jesus. He is the only one that could deal with her pain, that could deal with her brokenness, that could deal with her shame. And I think in her mind, there's this thing, what can I offer him in exchange? And she's got this alabaster container of expensive perfume. There are three times in the scriptures, in the gospels, where Jesus is anointed with perfume. Each time, there's a similarity. Each time, it's a woman that does it. And each account talks about the value of the perfume. It was very, very expensive. This was expensive perfume. In one of them, it it actually says one of the disciples is complaining that this woman has wasted this perfume. And it says that would have bought, it it says it was a 12-ounce jar, would have bought a year's wages. 
So I did a little bit of math. I checked out what the average income is in the colony, divided that by 12 ounces. It works out that that perfume would have been valued in today's dollars around $3,768 an ounce. And she's pouring it on Jesus' feet. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, some theologians say that that perfume would have been used in her business. And maybe this is her way of denouncing that I'm not doing that anymore. We don't know. $3,700 an ounce. What can I bring you, Jesus? You've done so much for me. You know about my pain. You know about my shame. What can I do for you? I got this. I'll bring this. Makes me wonder, you know, I think, what's my perfume? What thing of great value do I bring to Jesus in in gratitude for what he has done for me? Carries on, it says, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if that man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Now, here's the loophole they're looking for. We got Jesus here. We're trying to find ways to get to him. We're holy men. We're religious men. We wouldn't allow that to happen. If he were really a religious man, he wouldn't allow that to happen either. She's a sinner. It says, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I've got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Now, a couple things. First of all, that's kind of creepy. Jesus is reading this guy's thoughts. How? How is he doing that? Now, the, the, most people first thing, they think, well, Jesus is God. He knows everything. I don't think that's the truth. Because there are a couple times when, when the disciples ask Jesus questions about the future, and Jesus said, I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. So we know that Jesus is not all-knowing. We do know that he's God become a man, but he's not all-knowing. So how does he know what this guy is saying? Because Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. And the Spirit is all-knowing. So at that point, the Holy Spirit worked with Jesus. He knew what this guy was thinking. It's kind of scary. And then I think there's, there's a tone here from Jesus. It's sort of like a comeuppance. It's like Jesus suddenly turns to Simon and says, Simon, listen up, bud. I've got something to tell you. You better be listening to me. And then Simon addresses him as teacher, which is interesting. Maybe Simon's feeling the tension in the room. He knows he's been rude. Jesus is calling him out. He says, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. I don't know if there's a little bit of sarcasm in there. Well, I guess. Duh. That's right, said Jesus. You know, when you can lead someone to learning, it's always more effective than just telling them, right? And Jesus was expert at this, of of asking the right questions so that people come to the conclusion themselves. But I'm not really sure that Simon connects the dots. I'm not sure that Simon sees that he's one of the people in the story. Who knows? 
Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. I can feel the tension. So Jesus is looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says to Simon, look at this woman. Now they're both, I mean, how does she feel? She's kind of like, everybody's eyes are on her. Of course, they probably were as soon as she started crying and wiping his feet with her hair. So everybody's eyes. And so Jesus is looking at this woman and he's talking to Simon and he calls him out. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. If this was a boxing match, Simon just hit the canvas. I mean, Jesus is just, he's calling him out. And Simon embarrassed Jesus publicly. And now Jesus is calling Simon out publicly. You didn't offer me any of these courtesies, Simon. You see yourself as as self-righteous and important. You see yourself as superior to this lady. But from the moment she came in, she has honored me. And you did not, Simon. You were rude. And now you think she's a sinner. Jesus goes on. He says, I tell you her sins, and they are many, was in the song. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. Jesus doesn't negate the fact that this woman's sins are egregious. The the Bible speaks clearly about this, especially for Christians. When when we sin sexually, it's to God, it's like, ah, that's the worst. Because we we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's who we are as Christians. And when we do things that dishonor God in that manner by what we're we're doing or or watching, it's it's like, ugh. And this woman, that's her. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So Jesus addresses this fact. And look at the tense here. It's interesting. Have been forgiven. This is why I think something happened with this lady beforehand. She has been forgiven. She's already forgiven. And this is her response to this forgiveness. Her many sins have been forgiven, so she loves me much. She is so grateful. This is the motivation for Christian living right here. It's not about guilt. It's not about duty. It's about gratitude and love. Gratitude towards Jesus because of what Jesus has done and love for Jesus. You know, they asked Jesus, well, the... Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. And then Jesus said in the second one is love others as you love yourself. There it all is. Our lives, our lives should be a beautiful aroma to the people around us. It's not about living in guilt and sin. It's about living in wholeness and forgiveness and gratefulness. So I'm not who I was Jesus has cleaned me up. Praise God. Jesus continues, But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. Now the tense changes. She's already been forgiven. 
And then Jesus throws this in there. Now, why does Jesus do this? Because he's in this room with these Pharisees, and he wants them to hear him say these words, your sins are forgiven. Now, she already believes that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive sins. That's why she's there doing this. She believes it. But the Pharisees don't. So there's a contrast going on here. So he says this. He, he knows why he's been invited to dinner, and he's feeding them. There you go. I am God. I can forgive. I'm not hiding it. She is forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a contrast. She's trusting in Jesus Christ. They're indignant at Jesus Christ. It's a powerful passage of scripture. You know, as I was reading through it, I got hung up on the whole perfume thing. I was thinking about perfume. It's a very powerful imagery here. You know, scientists tell us that of the five senses, smell is the one that is most closely linked to memory. And I think we've probably all experienced that when you you, you catch a whiff of something and it takes you right to something. Baking bread takes you back to Mimo's house or... My dad used to smoke a certain brand of cigar only at Christmas time. And I don't like the smell of cigars, but I can pick out that smell. And every time I smell it, it takes me right back to Christmas. I've got a, a, a thing of cologne at my house. I was going to bring it, but I'm traveling right away afterwards. It, it was my son's. And I got it from him after he passed away. And I, and I'm, I use it on Sunday mornings. But every time I spray that on, it just reminds me of him you know it's smell it we associate it with stuff it's it's very powerful <laughs> so i figured it out i looked at this bottle of cologne and i did the calculation based on that it would have been worth fifteen, eighteen thousand eight hundred and forty dollars do you know all the way through scripture it talks about incense and aroma being pleasing to God. In Revelation chapter 5, this is kind of weird. In Revelation chapter 5, it says that the prayers of the saints are presented to God in golden bowls as a fragrant incense. God keeps your prayers in a bowl that is a fragrant, pleasing incense. Isn't that? Don't think your, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. They're precious to God. He's got them in a bowl. There's Benny's prayers. Oh, I like that. No, that's Benny's feet. <laughs> For me, though, the sweetest thing in this passage of Scripture is... The image of the sweet fragrance of grace. You know, you've got this contrast. You've got these men are sitting around the table and they're judging. They're judging Jesus and they're judging this woman. They see themselves as self-righteous. And then you've got this sinful lady comes in and she opens up this perfume. And as the, the aroma of that perfume fills the room, so does the Lord's grace. Even for them, it permeates everything. The, the Lord's grace permeates all of creation for those who are open to it. 
The only difference between these men and the prostitute is she knows she's a sinner. And she knows that Jesus is the only answer to her sin. These guys think that they're righteous. They think they've got a little bit of bad, but they're so righteous that maybe the good will outweigh the bad. We don't need Jesus. We don't need forgiveness. (laughs) And then Jesus tells them this story. One person owes a lot. One person owes a little. What's the common denominator here, Simon? They both owe. Neither of them can pay it back. But the man kindly forgives their sin. Who's going to love him the most, Simon? Well, the one who was forgiven much. Absolutely. But the grace is there for you as well, if you would but take it. But he doesn't think he needs grace. There's... There's a weird correlation in the Bible between grace and faith. Grace is a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You don't deserve it. It's freely given. But it's conditional. You know, I'd like to say that it's unconditional, but it's not. Grace is conditional upon faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, God, I have to read it because I've got it memorized from a different version. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So grace is a free gift. It's not earned. It isn't deserved. But it is conditional. It's conditional on our trust and our belief that Jesus Christ, the giver of grace, will, can, and has forgiven our sins. These guys didn't think they needed forgiveness. So they're not interested in grace. This woman knows her sins are great. They're huge. You know, the Bible says that that when we sin, it it causes a, a gap between us and God. And everybody's a sinner. So we've all got a gap between us and God. God is righteous. And the only way to get across to God is by someone who has no gap who has no sin. And she knows that her only way back to God is through this man, Jesus Christ. If he will take my sin, I can be good with God again. But that comes by faith. That comes by believing that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he took the sins of everybody when he died on the cross and he paid the debt. He took the separation. That's what we call death. So that we were no longer separated. That's what the the faith is all about. And when he's on that cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling that separation from his father. It must have been a strange thing because he's part of the Trinity. And at that point, he gets separated out from the rest of the Trinity. But he didn't have any sin. And so death couldn't keep him. And he was victorious over death and he was victorious over sin. And he says, anybody who trusts in me, I will take your sin. I already paid for it. You don't need to worry. You're good to go. Is that good news? That's reason to celebrate, isn't it? That's worth a vial of perfume. (laughs) 
however many thousands of dollars. Like, God, I can't pay for my soul. There's nothing of greater value than what you've done for me. I've said this before many times, and it's important because the word free gets misplaced. You don't have a free pass into heaven. You have a receipt that says paid in full. Someone paid the price. It's not free, free. Somebody paid the price. Thank you, Jesus. So here's the question. How do we respond to the beautiful aroma of the Lord's grace? How do we live life in such a way that we are a pleasing aroma to God and to people around us? So on the flip side of your your thing, I've put a little acronym there, the word grace. And there's a great verse. I love this verse. But thank God. He has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. When people spend time with us, there should be an aroma about us that is pleasing. That is, wow, I want whatever you got. You you, you ever been close to someone and they're wearing a cologne or a perfume and it's just like, oh, I like that. Where'd you get that? That's how our lives are supposed to be. So that when people get closer, say, oh, I like that. Where Where did you get that? I got it from Jesus. He's given it away. You can have some. So what does it mean to live in grace? So here's your, here's your acronym. The G stands for gratitude, but thank God. But thank God. We have so much to be thankful for. Number one thing that as Christians, our lives should just be lives of gratitude. Whiny, moany Christians are the worst thing on the face of the planet. It just is. I mean, it's not a good advertisement, is it? Yeah, I'm following Jesus. Do you see that idiot in the car this morning? <laughs> we should be grateful. Gratitude should overflow from us. The R is relinquish. Relinquish control of your life. He has made us captives. It's an interesting word. Who was it? Bob Dylan had a song years ago. Bob Dylan kind of for a little while, dabbled with Christianity, and he wrote this song called, You're Gonna Have to Serve Someone. You're either gonna have to serve Satan, or you're gonna serve God, but you're serving someone. And Christ here says, no, you are my captives. I relinquish control of my life, Jesus. When I invite you into my life, you take charge. I'm your captive. I'd rather be your captive than a captive to sin. The C, sorry, the A is allow him to lead you. It says that he continues to lead. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us in Christ's triumphal procession. So there's this idea of going somewhere. So it's thankfulness. I want you to be in charge. I'm going to follow you. C, celebrate. Triumphal procession. Not just any procession. This is the big news. 
I'm a captive of Jesus. He's parading us through time. We're the Jesus people. Yeah. He changed my life. He can change your life. I love the song that we sang. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And the E is exactly that. Exclaim. Exclaim. The Bible says that we are witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen something or experienced something. And in court, they tell the story of what they saw, what they experienced. They, they tell the story. We are witnesses of Christ's power to change lives. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He changed my life. He can change your life. This woman is in there. She, this is the most precious thing I got, Jesus. I'm bringing it to you because... What you did for me is so much more precious than anything I have. And what did Jesus say to her right at the end? Go in peace. Go in peace. When the peace of Christ resides within you, you don't have to have all the answers. I mean, to exclaim to someone the goodness of Christ, you don't have to be a big missionary or a theologian. Or an evangelist. You just have to be you with Jesus. I got Jesus, man. Your life should be such a pleasing thing that when people look at you, they don't think you're... Some people are going to think you're a nutcase. Nothing you can do about that. But some people are going to look and think, I want what they have. I remember my niece, Daniel. I've shared this story before. She lives in London. Sandra met with her this week. And uh, she was over here. And went to youth camp with us. And at youth camp, she asked Jesus Christ to be her Lord and Savior. But she had struggled with it because, you know, Britain's very atheistic. And I remember talking to her afterwards and saying, what, what was it? What was that, that point? And she says she doesn't remember getting up out of her seat. She was sitting in the seat with everybody else. And the next thing, she's down the front and she's praying. And she can't remember what happened in between. But she said, the one thing that, that I do recall... Because this has been building all week. She said, I looked at these other kids from your church and these other churches. And they're all filled with joy. And they're all happy. And they're all singing. And they're all having a good time. And I looked at my life. And I thought, I want that. And the guy said, I know where you can get that. Come on down. And she did. Grace is a beautiful thing. Let it fill your life. Inhale it. And let it ooze out of you. Be graceful. Such a wonderful word. Graceful. I mean, the two things that we need to do is is give thanks to Christ and they'll tell people about Christ. And maybe all that is in your life is an invitation. You know, I don't know what you got, but I like what you got. You should come to church with me. They'll tell you about it. You know, last week, I gave a challenge, the 5-6 challenge. I challenged everybody to pray through five names of people who are far from Christ for six weeks. And I did tell you at the end, it might not be six weeks, and it's not. So it's a new challenge. It's the 5-7 challenge now. (laughs) Because on October the 24th, you know, it just last week, I just felt we needed to do this. We're going to have a special service out there on the lawn. I had the technical people come to me because I announced this last week. Nobody knew. 
Let's just, we're doing this. And how are we going to stream it out there? And I said, I've got good people. They'll figure it out. And they will. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, a year ago, we were filming this services on my cell phone right here. So yeah, we can do it. Who are you going to invite? Who are you praying for? Who in your life needs to know the beautiful aroma of Christ's grace? Someone that you can invite. And I don't know what we're going to do in that service yet. We've been talking about it. I'm going today, so I leave it with you all while I go on vacation. This is the way to do it. But we want to invite people. You know, we have money. We have money left over from last year's toy run. We have money left from the coat drive. And we were sitting down, Christy and, and, and Kelly Biggs and myself, said, we've got to use this money up. There are people that need stuff, and we've got stuff. We need to give people stuff. So that's going to be a part of this service on October 24th. How this all comes together, I don't know, but you, my people will figure it out. And I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a special service and we're going to tell people about the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. Sound like a plan? Start praying. I think I put five spots. I did right there. And I want you to pray for me because I'm off to England right after this service. England is the most, probably one of the most atheistic countries in the world. When we left, I think I've shared this with you before, when we left in 1980, came over to Canada, statistics at that time said in, in England, less than 2% of people attended church. And I don't think it is. I think it's less than that. Because both Sandra and I, when we got involved with God, we started thinking about it. We didn't know anybody who knew anybody that went to church. Just not part of the radar screen. Since then, my mom became a Christian. My dad became a Christian. My sister Maria became a Christian. Karen is teetering. Sandra's having dinner with her today. (laughs) They're involved in church, but there's still a lot of atheism. So I'm going to have a temporary five when I go over there. I'm praying for some of my family. I'm praying for Sandra's parents who are far, far from God. Just that God would open up a door to a conversation. And that we would have the courage to go through the door and have the conversation. Would you pray that for me and for Sandra? And I'm going to pray for you. Please stand. Father, we give you thanks. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, you are greater than all the brokenness of this world. You are greater than our sin. And your grace is sufficient for all who would openly and willingly accept it. Father, I've given this challenge to each one to find five names and to begin praying. So I pray right now, Father, that you would just put those names on each person's heart, who they would be, that they would begin praying for these people every single day on a regular basis, Father. And I'm praying for this service on October the 28th. Father, I think it's the 28th that you would just give us a great harvest upon that day. And that these people that we pray for, maybe they don't come to you on October 28th, but it begins a journey that takes them to you. Father, may we be that pleasant aroma of grace 
wherever we go. Pour out your blessings upon us so that we may be a blessing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. As you leave, please be faithful with your giving. Our offering bucket is there. You can give online. And um, say again? 24th. That's the date. See, God knows the date and Christy knows the date. So it's the 24th. So, hey, now I need something else from you all. Church will still be here next Sunday, even if I am not. Don't be staying home because oh, it's not going to be proper church. I've got some good people lined up, some, some really good people to, to, to come in and speak. I'm going to do little v- videos and I'm going to put them on Facebook. During, next week, I'm going to be right by the Mayflower Steps where they left to come to England, to come to America. And I've already thought of a little blurb I want to do right there. So I'm praying that it's not going to be raining. So you'll see some of those things, and I'll be reminding you about the five people, okay? But please come to church, all right? Do I get a promise? Thank you all. Hey, I love you all. I'll see you in a month.